the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning we're in the third week of our series we're calling Get Off the Escalator. Last week we talked about some of the practical things that we can do when our escalator stalls, when that escalator stops. When, when, what we do when our walk with the Lord and our relationship with Jesus Christ comes to that place where we feel like we've lost momentum and we're not moving anymore. Some of the practical steps that we can take to get moving again. And if you weren't here last week and you feel like you are stalled or you're stuck in your relationship with Jesus, then I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message through our website or the podcast because I think what you'll realize is that it's a lot easier than what you would ever think to get moving again. Two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the escalator, and we talked about the illusion of growth and the illusion of movement and the fact that it can be devastating to your relationship with your heavenly Father and your walk with Jesus Christ when things are moving around you or, or when someone else or something else is causing movement, but you're not actually growing closer to the Lord. We talked about how damaging that can be with your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with your family, your relationship with other believers, and, and we said, hey, we need to learn to get off the escalator. So this morning, staying with this escalator imagery, I want to talk to you about what we can do when we get on the wrong escalator, when we get on the wrong escalator. Running up an escalator that's going down has been a staple in every action movie ever created. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like there's always that scene, the escalator's coming down and the, the guy who's running goes up. It doesn't matter that there's a down escalator and an up escalator and he could choose either one. He always chooses the down escalator. Why? Because it's so much cooler to run up a down escalator, amen? And because us men, and, and really, I think that our immaturity level drops when we become fathers, right? And so us men and us fathers, because all of us have the secret desire to be Jason Bourne, we all, every time we see this down escalator, there's just something inside of us that wants to go up it. How many of you dads, men, know what I'm talking about, right? It's a down escalator, I can get up that thing, right? Honey, watch this, you know? Like, there's just something inside of us that wants to go up a down escalator, right? You're in the mall, you're tired of shopping, you always, dad's men always find the benches, right? You know, it's like scouting a bench out. Your wife says, hey, honey, I just want to go into the Herbergers for like 10 minutes, and you know that's code for like an hour and 10 minutes? She's lying to you, and so you say, say, that's fine, honey, you go in there, me and the kids are going to sit out here quietly on this bench next to the escalator, right? She comes out an hour and 25 minutes later, and she's saying, why are you so sweaty, you know? Why did you lie to me? Why are you taking so long? Leave me alone. I was just going up the down escalator, right? Got me some sweat. And it, it seems that when, when you're going the wrong way on an escalator, it's fun and cool, right? And you have a good explanation for it. But if you see somebody else going the wrong way on an escalator, they're just rude, offensive, and immature, right? We take this imagery, we relate it to where we are spiritually. And I feel like there are a number of believers today, people who call themselves Christians, they would identify as, as a believer in Jesus. And there's far too many of us that have stepped on the wrong escalator. There's far too many of us that are going in the wrong direction. 
And maybe initially we realized it, but anymore we're not doing anything about it. You ever seen that, or you've been that person, you were going to go, you know, you were talking about where you were going to go, you stepped on the escalator, and then you realized immediately this isn't where you want to be, right? And so you start making your way back, and it's going up, and you're trying to walk on that flat platform, and you're getting uncomfortable, you know you're going to crash, and so you just ride it out. You know what I'm talking about? They just ride it up, and I feel like for a lot of believers, a lot of us have just stepped on that part, and we know initially, hey, this isn't, this isn't where I want to go. I don't feel like this is where Jesus wants me to go. I don't think I should be heading this direction, and initially we start to, start to step off, but, but we, it becomes awkward and weird and uncomfortable to step off, and so we've started riding it out. We're just, I'm just going to ride this out and see where it takes me. And a lot of us, we've been on that escalator for, for so long that we forget that we're even on the wrong escalator. And so uh, we don't even realize it until it becomes far too late. And so this morning, if you're on the wrong escalator, uh, we're going to say it's time to get off the escalator. The passage that we're looking at, if you have your Bibles open to um, Second Chronicles, it's in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles um, what chapter here? Second Chronicles chapter 2. We're going to be looking in verse 7. This, this passage here in Second Chronicles chapter 2, it's a very important time in Israel's history. Solomon had just finished building the temple, and they had just finished dedicating this temple to God. They'd spent some time partying and praying and just worshiping God, and, and they, they um, blessed God, and they offered all of these animal sacrifices and worship to God and, and just really loving on God and thanking him for his provision, his protection, his guidance over them. And Scripture tells us that God sent fire down from heaven to consume the offerings that had been prepared for him in this amazing display of God's presence, his power, and his glory. Scripture says that the glory of God filled the temple so that the presence of God was so thick that people couldn't even in enter because God was fully there and God was fully present. Man, I don't know about you, but I just wonder what that would have been like, and I wonder how awesome that would have been to see and witness. And how cool would it have been to just see the presence and the glory of God so thick that people couldn't even enter the room, right? And so shortly after this time, and we're not sure how long, it may have been a week, a year, all we know is that it was in the same kind of general season in the nation, we have this um, scripture that we're going to look at today in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, verse 12. And uh, this is what it says. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, So God shows up to Solomon, the king of Israel, and basically the builder of the temple. And he says this to Solomon. He says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. God is saying, I have heard your prayers. I've seen your heart. I find it honoring, pleasing, and acceptable to me. This is the sweet spot in our relationship with God. All of you, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you have found yourself at one point or another in that sweet spot with Jesus. I mean, you feel like you can feel the presence of God. I mean, you can feel him working inside of you. You can feel him changing things inside of you. You can feel him directing your life and your legacy and everything that you read, hear, or sing is just speaking to your heart and it's just 
filling you up full of God and glory. And, you know, there are times when people say, you know, man, I just can't hear the Lord. I try, but he's not speaking to me. But then there are other times when you're in that sweet spot where you feel like God is just speaking to you time after time after time after time, and he's reaffirming things in your life. And you can hear that still, small voice with crystal clarity inside of you, and the word is just alive. It's that sweet spot in your relationship with Jesus, that moment that you felt powerfully the presence of God and you heard clearly the voice of God. So God is saying, hey, look, I see it. It's acceptable. It's awesome. It's God honoring. But then God continues and he changes direction very quickly. He doesn't even offer like a transitional statement. He just says, awesome, now listen. And he offers some useful instruction. I believe he does this because God knows our tendency to drift. God knows that as humans, we have a sinful nature that's constantly at war inside of us, that the enemy of our souls is constantly putting pressure on us, and the second that we let up, he takes that ground. He pushes on us again, and we let up, and he takes that ground. And so God is telling the people of God through the king of Israel what they have to do. God knows that as sinful people, and and I know that, listen, I know that we have been washed by the blood of the lamb and that God sees us as perfect and holy in, in the light of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, right? But, but, that, but we are still being redeemed. We are still being made whole. There is still a sin issue that is creeping and crouching at our door, constantly trying to get in. And God knows that we are drawn to the wrong escalator. God knows that we have this, this thing inside of us that is constantly pulling us towards the wrong escalator. Now, I want you to see what God says next here in verse 13. Remember, he just said, I, I seen your praise, your prayers, awesome. Verse 13. Just this radical change. He says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence uh, among my people, pestilence among my people. At this point, it's important to understand the nature of the language that God is using here. Because what God is telling telling Solomon here through Scripture, in any time that drought or, or locust or pestilence is mentioned through Scripture, It's relating to this idea of warning, judgment, or discipline. Scripture is very clear in Hebrews chapter 12 that the Lord disciplines the one he loves, right? And so there are times where where God will, will allow these things or do these things so that he can get the attention of the believers because he refuses to allow his people to sin successfully, right? Thank God he does, amen? This is a divine aspect of his grace in our life. Listen, dad, if you are a dad that allows your child to constantly be disrespectful, to constantly say no, and to constantly in your home sin successfully, then you are raising a child that is going to learn how to sin successfully the rest of his life, right? So it's our duty and it's our privilege and it's our right to, as good, godly parents, refuse to allow our children to sin successfully, right? If they lie, discipline. If they hit, discipline. If they cheat, discipline, right? In a godly way. 
And so this is, this is God refusing to allow his people to sin successfully. And God is saying, listen, Solomon, and through scripture, because God's word is to us and all scripture is to us, we understand that. So through scripture, God is saying, listen, church, listen, North Shore, listen, here in the year 2016, there are going to be times both personally and nationally when things start to look rather bleak, when circumstances arise that progress beyond your ability to control. They've gone farther than you can handle. There will be times when your situation becomes increasingly worse and the world starts to feel a little bit scary and a lot bit confusing. There will be those times. Now, church, it seems as though we are living in those times. It seems as though there's a spiritual drought that has swept through our nation. It seems as though, in a spiritual sense, the locust has appeared and begun to devour. It seems as though a spiritual pestilence has spread through our nation like a sinful disease, and we've begun to embrace it and celebrate it. And I'm not here to debate or discuss whether or not God caused it or allowed it. I just think that it seems as though it's here. What happened in Orlando last week was a tragedy. It just was. It was evil. It was demonic. I mean, the taking of life in that way was a tragedy. But it seems as though things like that, or or that one specifically, has just become another platform for everyone to politicize and voice whatever opinion or whatever agenda that they feel most passionate about. Seems as though people just see that as another opportunity to voice their opinions on our national leadership, guns, Muslims, gays, just in anything that you, you have a, a strong opinion about. Now, I'm not here to tell you that you can't have an opinion. I'm not saying that. I'm not here to tell you that your opinion is right or wrong. You, you, you are free to have an opinion. Look, I have an opinion on all of this stuff. Some of you agree with me, and some of you don't, and, and that's fine. We're not here to discuss opinions this morning. But it seems as though as these events intensify, and as the volume of the debate increases, the church in large part, in response to these things, has gotten on the wrong escalator. We're not responding the way I believe that God would would have us to. Often our response as the church is to whine, blame, criticize, and complain. And listen, let me tell you honestly, I get it. I understand why we whine, blame, criticize, and complain. I do. I find myself doing the same thing. I understand why this kind of stuff, as we're watching the news, is frustrating. But I believe that if we, as a church, if we as believers are going to whine, blame, criticize, and complain, that is the wrong escalator. Verse 13 says again, let's read it. When I shut up the heavens, God says, so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence pestilence among my people. Verse 14, God shows us how we need to respond. You've heard this before, but listen to it again. God says this, if my people 
who are called by my name. Listen, God says, my people who are called by my name. In this, God is clearly identifying a specific group of people that he is talking to. He's clearly identifying a specific group of people that have the power and the ability to affect major and dramatic change. Listen, believer. Listen, Christian. If you are God's chosen people, if you are a believer and you are called by God's name, you have more power and more authority and more ability inside of you to affect major and dramatic change than you even realize. And God wants to use you to change, guide, direct, and usher in his divine and glorious plan. My people who are called by my name. God doesn't say if the people who believe in a higher power and make relatively good decisions. No, he doesn't say that. I want you to understand the significance of this Old Testament passage that with clarity, God says, my people called by my name. At this point in history, the name by which they were called, the name by which they knew God was Yahweh. That's, that was the name of God, Yahweh. They called him Yahweh, and that's the God that we serve. We serve Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. They knew God as Yahweh. But today, the name in which God's people are identified is not necessarily Yahweh alone, but more significantly and more in the front and center is Jesus. Jesus. That is the name by which we are called. That is the name by which we are saved. That is the name by which we are identified. Philippians chapter 2 says, The name that is above every name, Jesus is that name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. We are a people called by, identified by, and saved by the name, the precious name of Jesus. And it's in seasons like this, after attacks, the events in Orlando, that Christians are looking for answers. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's the appropriate Christian response? How should God's people, how should the church, how should the people who have willingly and joyfully submitted to the name of Jesus respond? What should our verbal response be? What should our social media response be? And what should our spiritual response be? Let's look again at verse 14. We'll break this down a little bit. God says this in, in Scripture, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Scripture goes on to, to talk about more specifically how it relates to Solomon and all that stuff. And, and there are some warnings of judgment. And I read that in the first service this morning. I'm not going to have time to get into it this one, but if you want to, go ahead and read the end of that chapter. It's all good stuff, but I want to say this. God is good to keep his promises. Amen? And God is sure to follow through with his warnings, and that identifies him as a good God too. God's commands, God's, God's warnings in scripture are not lip service, 
He's a good God. He's not just trying to say, hey, this is an option. You should check this out. No, God, through Scripture, gives commands and statutes, and they're not suggestions. And that's how we view Scripture. That's how I view Scripture. I want you to know that. I want to be very clear on that. But this morning, I don't want to talk about warnings, judgments, or anything like that. All I want to do is, is try to identify the right escalator so that we know for sure that as Christians, we are heading in the right direction, no matter what time, but especially in a time and a season like this. And so what we're going to do, we're going to go back to verse 14. We're going to break this down more specifically and identify three signs that will show you you are on the right escalator. The first one is this, humble. We have to stay humble. We have to operate in humility. God says the first thing that we have to do is humble ourselves. Again, it doesn't appear that God is talking to everyone here. It doesn't appear as if he's talking to all mankind, right? He's, talking, he's not talking to everybody affected by the current situation. No, who is God talking to? God is talking to my people who are called by my name. And so this is what I want you to hear this morning, church, that you as a Christian, as a believer, need to humble yourself. We as a church, not necessarily as a nation, maybe secondarily as a nation, but first as a church, as a people of God, we need to humble ourselves. We have to come to the point as Christians where we are willing to admit that God and not us has the answers. Amen? We have to come to a point as a church where we are willing to say that God and not man is the answer. God has the answers. God is the answers. I don't have the answer, and I am not the answer. It is God and not me. I'm convinced with every fiber of my being that America has enjoyed the security and prosperity that we have simply because we've enjoyed the divine favor and the outpouring of grace that God has bestowed on our nation. That it was God first and not democracy or policy that is responsible for that. I believe that God had directed some of those things that we get to enjoy, but that it was initiated and blessed and touched by God. I believe that the future hope rests in God first and not democracy, constitution, or policy. And look, I love all of those things, but I think the author of our salvation and the author of our security is God and God alone. We as believers have to humble ourselves before God. Jesus is our present hope, and Jesus is our eternal hope. It's Christ and Christ alone. And so we talk about this idea of humility the humility escalator is so little used. If you, if you get this picture in your mind, that this humility escalator is that one over in the corner that nobody is on. It's full of cobwebs and dust bunnies because nobody rides, nobody is on the humility escalator anymore. Nobody. We read the story, some of the tragic stories that we've seen just this last week. You read the story of that, that, just that terrible one of the Nebraska boy who was attacked by the alligator at the Disney Resort, and it's just heartbreaking. As a dad, man, I just can't even imagine how that, how that would affect you. I can't imagine living through that kind of a situation. It is just completely and utterly heartbreaking. 
And then you read the articles and you read the headlines and you scroll down on your computer and you read the comments by hundreds of people that say that, that will, will talk about how terrible those parents were for allowing their son to, to be in water where there were alligators and what they would have done if they were in that situation and how they would have wrestled the alligator and how they would have done this and how they would have done that and how you know that would have never happened or these people should be ashamed of themselves because they allowed that to happen and all of that stuff. Listen, Christian, if that's you, listen, believer, if that's you and you are being harsh and you are being judgmental and you are being critical in those moments and in those things that you really have no knowledge of, that is the wrong escalator. Get off of it. Do not be that person. That's the wrong escalator. We oftentimes like to think that we are experts in everything when we're not. We become experts at telling people what they should do and what they should think, and how they should respond. Uh, our kids are telling parents how to parent, right? If you're, a, if you're a kid in here, you're still in junior high or high school, and you're telling your parents how to parent, you're telling them that they're terrible and everything that they're doing is wrong, look, that's the wrong escalator, right? I can tell you from experience that when I was from junior high to high school, I, I knew that my parents were getting it wrong right? I knew they were, right? There was a lot of things that my dad would do, and I think, man, he's kind of an idiot. He's just old. He's out of touch, right? And then you get to the point where I'm at in my life, and I look at the five kids that I have and that I'm responsible for in the church and the marriage and everything else, and I think, oh, dear God, let me be half the dad that my dad was, right? If you're operating in that pride and arrogance, that's a wrong escalator. Get off of it. We're telling our leaders how they should lead, our kids' coaches how they should coach, our teachers how they should teach, our pastors how they should pastor. We're telling complete strangers how they should parent and do everything else. And because we're so good at telling everybody else what they're supposed to do and everybody else how they're supposed to think and act, oftentimes we get to the point where we tell God how he should rule. And listen, God doesn't need your help. God is good enough to rule, God is big enough to rule, and God is smart enough to rule on his own. Let him. Get off that escalator. And so we come to the point where we say, God, thank God you are God and not me. And in those moments where we don't understand what's going on, we don't have to freak out because God does. And in those moments where we're confused, we don't have to worry because God's not. And in those moments where everything around us is looking really dark, we don't have to get scared because we know that Jesus is the light of the world. And it's not us. Number two is this, pray and seek. This is the second identifier of the escalator, pray and seek. This is a call to the believers to prayer and to the pursuit of the presence of God. We sing about the presence. We sing about the face of God. We as believers need to more than sing about it. We need to actively pursue it. We need to make it a priority in our life. We need to make prayer a priority in our life. And I wonder, what is it going to take to really wake the church up, to really wake the believers up to where we begin to take prayer seriously? What is it going to take where prayer is our first response and not judgment or answers or anything else? What is it going to take where we immediately see something and fall to our knees in prayer and we say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to pray. God, I don't necessarily agree with some of those things, but I'm going to pray. Man, if somebody were to ask me what's the number one lie that Christians, that believers tell, 
I would say it's this, when they say, I'm praying for you. When Christians say, I'm praying for you, often that's the biggest lie. Because we say that all the time, right? You hear something. What, what, what I'm praying for you means today is not I'm praying for you. It means, oh, really? That's too bad. I'm sorry. I can't do anything about it. I wonder what would happen if instead of saying, I'm praying for you, we just started praying. Man, God convicted me of this years and years and years ago, and I'd say, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, because it's an easy line. I felt like God said to me, Chris, don't you dare tell somebody you're praying for them if you're not going to pray for them. Don't you prop yourself up as a spiritual thing when you're refusing to even pray. And so God was just really convicting me, and I just, so ever since then, if I tell somebody I'm praying for them, I'm going to pray for them. And oftentimes, I'll tell somebody I'm praying for them, I'll hang up the phone, and I'll pray for them right then and there. I don't want to tell somebody I'm praying for them if I'm not. Scripture says pray and seek. Pray for the favor of God to shine on your family. Pray for the favor of God to shine on your community. Pray for the favor of God to shine in your nation. Listen, if you're spending more time posting about it than praying about it, you're on the wrong escalator. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Worship team, come. <clears throat> we talk about revival a lot. Pastors talk a lot about revival. Um, if, I, if I were to say, you know, we need to pray for revival, some of you would, would understand what I'm talking about, but, but when I asked this in the first service, there are a lot of you, I know, that um, if I say revival, you'd be kind of like, ah, I, don't, I don't fully know what revival means. Revival is when God responds in a powerful and dramatic way to the praying and the seeking of believers to the face and the presence of God. Revival is when the power and the glory of God spills over, when it, when it fills up a person or a church so much that it spills over and it creates sort of a divine and holy mess. Revival is when the presence and the power of God consume a man, a church, or a nation in a way that, that we can no longer contain it with our plans, our schedules, or our agendas. Revival is when the believers become so desperate for God, so determined to pray and seek the face of God, that not, not only does God reveal himself to the believers in a divine and glorious way, but also because he reveals himself to the believers so powerfully, he reveals himself to unbelievers as well. And we begin to see unbelievers change and repent and turn and begin to serve and worship God. Revival. Revival happens when God's people who are called and identified by the name of Jesus Christ, begin to pray and seek his face. Man, there's lots of things about our nation, and there's lots of things that need to change and be better. There's lots of areas that we need to repent. But what our nation needs more than anything is a Christ-centered revival to sweep across this land. Just a Christ-centered revival that would just ignite inside of us this hunger and this dependence and this desire for God. And when God's people are filled, when God's people are full of God, that God begins to spill over and touch communities and touch nations and touch governments. Like let revival sweep across this land. Jesus, start revival inside of me. Ignite revival in me. The last identifier of the right escalator is this, repent. 
If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. A spirit of repentance will never exist in our nation if it doesn't exist first in the church. It has got to start in the church. It has got to start with you and me. I said it before and I'll say it a hundred times more. We cannot even come close to effectively dealing with the sin issue out there if we can't deal with the sin issue in here first. We have to be able to repent and turn from our wicked ways if we're going to be effective in advancing the kingdom at all. Spirit of repentance will never exist in our nation if it doesn't exist in the church. We must never forget that we are a people that desperately, desperately need Jesus. We desperately, desperately need Jesus. We have to stop pretending that there is a sin issue out there when we ignore the sin issue in here. Stand your feet all across this place. A lot of us, me included, have been riding the wrong escalator for far too long. And so what we're going to do in response, in closing, we have a few minutes left, is we're gonna do this weird thing. Are you nervous? And if this is your first time, it might seem strange to you, but we're going to right now in the next seven minutes, take the word of God literally, right? We're just gonna take it literally. And so in this time of closing, we're going to humble ourselves. We're gonna pray and seek his face and we're gonna spend some time in repentance. And so this is how I want this to play out. I just, as, as, as I was kind of working through this in the first service and just thinking about it here during worship, I just, thinking about the dads and the men and the fathers in this place, I, I really feel like there is um, a call on men to lead the way. A call on men to lead the way in their homes and their families and in the church. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna humble ourselves, pray and seek God's face and repent, but, but in, a, in, a, in a much more simplified way, we're gonna extend the call that we had last week for just more of Jesus more of the presence of God in our life. Just this asking, this begging for revival fires to just sweep through our nation so that we don't have to explain God, we don't have to defend God, that God just powerfully and aggressively shows up in our lives, our churches, in our homes. So I'm gonna ask this, with every eye open and everybody looking around, those of you men in this place who would be willing to say, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll lead the way. I'll pray for revival. I'll lead the way in saying, I want more of God in my life, in my family, and in my church. If that's you and you're a guy in this place, I'm gonna ask you to, to come down, come stand around these altars, and just begin to pray. With no further instruction from me, just begin to pray that God would fill you up with the Holy Spirit, 
that God would send his revival fire through our nation, that God would pour his spirit out on us, begin to repent of the sin issue inside of you, begin to repent on behalf of a nation that is steeped in sinfulness, but we are going to humble ourselves, not judging, not pointing, not saying because of this religion or because of that thing, because of this or because of that belief that they deserve hell. No, look, God desires that none should perish, no matter what their religious background, no matter what their, their issue is. God desires that all would be saved, that all would turn, that all would repent and turn from their wicked ways. God came and sent his son Jesus so that all had access to heaven, right? God doesn't want anybody to perish. Judgment is not God's first plan. And so as men, let us begin to pray. Lord, let the revival of God, let the revival fires sweep through our nation. Lord Jesus, let the, the revival fires sweep through sinful communities. Lord Jesus, let revival fires sweep through terrorist camps. Lord Jesus, let revival fires sweep through false religions. Lord Jesus, let revival fires just overwhelm people who are serving other gods and who are committing their life to other gods. Lord Jesus, ignite in us, ignite in our homes, ignite in our nation this passion, this desire for more of you. Because Jesus, you said, as we humble ourselves, as we pray and seek your face, that you will reveal yourself to us and that you will heal our land. Men all across this place, if you're comfortable, raise your hands. Let's just ask for more of Jesus in our nation. More of Jesus. More of Jesus. More of Jesus. More of Jesus. Have you come to the end of yourself? Let it start with us. Let it start with us. Jesus is calling. Let it start with us. Let it start with us. More of Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Holy Spirit, do it in me first. Do it in our men first. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now listen, men, this is what I know. If you stand first and you stand strong as godly men, you will never have to stand alone. Dads, husbands, fathers, if you stand first and you stand strong, you will never have to stand alone. So we've got two more minutes. Again, men, go ahead and just raise your hand and continue. Press through here. Press through. Keep going. Keep praying. Don't quit on this. Keep praying. We're going to open up this altar to everyone else. If, if you, a woman, a wife, a spouse in here, and you would say, look, I'm going to stand with my husband as he stands with God. I'm going to stand with my brother as he stands with God. I'm going to stand with my fellow believer as they stand with God. I want you to come. If you can make your way to your husband, your father, your friend, you want to go stand by them, you want to grab their hand, you can make your way through the crowd. 
you say, hey, I'm going to pray for revival. I'm going to humble myself. We are going to pray. We're going to seek his face. We're going to ask God to sweep through this nation. I'm going to stand with my husband. I'm going to stand with my father. I'm going to stand with my friend. And we are going to do our part. This is how we will respond. We will respond by seeking God. We will respond by asking Jesus to do something. We will respond by asking God to overwhelm us as a family, as a church, and as a nation. We will respond by asking God not to judge, but to save. We will respond by asking God not to get them, but to go get them and bring them in. Jesus, send revival. Fill us with your spirit. Flood this nation with grace and mercy, Lord. Jesus, we thank you. Keep going. Don't quit. Keep going. us to be. Don't quit. Keep going. God has more for you. Pray and see. Some of you need to repent. Some of you have a sin issue inside that you've been hiding and neglecting. If that's you, go ahead and begin to repent of that thing. You know what it is. If that's you, just, just repent and determine to turn. I'm going to deal with the issue inside of me first. You're not strong enough to do it on your own. You need the power of Jesus. Humble yourself, repent, pray and seek. this way because I just feel like there's God's doing something we're not going to close officially but if you're done you can go Pastor Dan's going to keep singing he's going to keep worshiping I don't want you to leave till you're done some of you guys you need to stay for a little bit God's doing something inside of you God's igniting something inside of you God wants to change something inside of you. God wants to change the way you respond. He wants to change the way you see. God wants to change the way you view the spiritual authority that he has given you. This is the right escalator. This is where you need to be. Hungry, desperate, desiring more of Jesus. Pastor Dan, go ahead. If you need to go, go. But I encourage you to stay until God's done with you. Christ is risen, Lord. Oh, what a Savior.
Christ is risen. Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of jesus christ oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 